Hello, Coach Fury podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, man, you don't tune in anymore. You search and you hit play or it's subscribed and it's showing up. Uh, I'm very excited for this episode. I'm going to introduce my guest in a moment. For those that don't know me, the silly nickname, I am Steve Coach Fury Holliner. I teach for several organizations, including the RKC Original Strength DVRT Ultimate Sandbag Training and Strength Faction, and I offer online and personal training. Um, a couple of announcements. My wife's show is coming up with some friends. Biting Back, Art for a Good Pause, P-A-W-S, is going to be an art show on December 1st through the 3rd in Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the A-Bar. We have over 40 artists coming in. Um, showing art that's going to be for sale. We have a ton of killer raffles, which includes acupuncture sessions, uh, tattoo gift certificates, vegan uh, nutrition and health supplements. What else do we have going on? Man, there's just a ton of stuff. We have recycled doggy poop bags. That's interesting. But there's like home goods. There's a lot of stuff. And all the money from the art and the raffle items is going to go to Animal Haven. Now, Animal Haven is a rescue shelter in uh, Lower Manhattan, that's actually where Kim and I got our dog, Ramona Flowers. So all the money's going to go help them out. So that is December 1st through the 3rd. So this is the last podcast you're going to hear this announcement on. So come and check that out. I'll be emceeing the raffle opening night. So if anything, come to watch me crash and burn. I've never emceed something before. I'm not even fully sure what that means. Now, the next announcement I'm very excited about because it involves my guest. Senior RKC, Beth Andrews and I, are going to teach together for the first time at the Movement Gym in Marietta, Georgia. I've been a fan of Beth's for years and literally messaged her. I'm like, how have we not taught together yet? And she's like, I know a place and we're making this happen. So this is going to be at the Movement Gym, MVMNT Gym. Uh, we hooked up with our friend Ivy Perkins and she's bringing us down. That's January 26th through the 28th. And please come sign up. There's still spots for that. For any information on other courses I might be involved in or on training with me, visit coachfury.com. Now, that's enough of my spiely stuff. So when I first got involved in the RKC, there were like several names of different levels of people that you were aware of. Whether they were on leadership or not, you just certain names stood out, whether it was assisting, just being strong. Uh, and Beth Andrews is one of those people that I had just started to hear about. Um, she wasn't in leadership. She just knew she was freaking awesome with kettlebells and super strong. And I was super happy when she was promoted to a senior RKC and very excited to join onto the team and have literally been waiting to almost three years to teach together. So I'm very excited that that's finally happening. Um, Beth runs a gym in Cartersville, Georgia, Train Strong Gym. She also offers online and personal training. Um, Beth, say hello to the people, the listeners. Hello, listeners. <laughs> um, what, did I, what did I miss in your introduction? Tell me a little bit about your setup and your offerings. Uh, well, I do, um, classes at my gym or actually it's called open gym. So it's kind of non-traditional. I think, um, I open from seven to 10, for example, and you come in during the hours that I'm open. Uh, so that way I'm able to work with you on a semi personal level, um, and do movement work or whatever, um, and even just write you out a separate workout from what we have on the board for that day. So I, I just like doing it that way better than having group classes for me. So, so it's an informal semi-private model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it'd be like if you, if I were, let's say a 24 hour gym and you go in and you just, you know, you do your workout, but I'm there to supervise. 
And everybody that comes in has to work with me on a personal level anyways. So, um, and then I sort of wean you off of having to stay with me, you know, the whole time. So it's a good balance between a personal training and group training. It's kind of right in the middle. Are they booking in advance or are you just there and who shows up, shows up? I'm just there and whoever shows up, shows up. Um, it, and it's basically a part-time thing because the other thing that I do part-time is the online training. So, uh, actually I probably do online training more than part-time. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. What would you say the percentages? I want I definitely want to talk to you about online training. Is it something that I've always had an aspect of what I do, but I've been doing more of it in the last uh, year and a half. What would you say is the percentage of your business that is in the gym, uh, mm-hmm. in these open gym hour model versus, or in comparison to your online training model? Oh gosh. Probably, I would say 30% in my gym, 70% online. Online is huge. It's crazy. Uh, People love it. That's awesome. Let's talk about it because this is something that, you know, I'm sort of part of the problem in a way that I have always had. And I I think when you're an instructor for these groups, it becomes a little easier to do online training because people hear about you. They want to prep. For me, it started with people wanting to either prep for a certification or life after the certification, you know, Mm -hmm. how do I get there? And now what do I do next? Um, But now it's becoming just sort of part of like every trainer's business model is almost like ready to jump to online very quickly. How do you find, I think the hardest thing we find is a, a leads, right? Finding our reach to get people. Cause I think mm-hmm. sometimes we just think if we have um, a, a snazzy Instagram account that somehow people will follow us. But if we don't have a following in a gym or in a course world, it could be very hard to actually find people mm-hmm. to sign up with you. How, how do most of your, how are most of your leads generated? Uh, referrals, networking. Um, I do a lot of, um, networking with chiropractors. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm FMS and a lot of the chiros are FMS. And so we, we can communicate that way and they send me their patients who need to exercise. They need to move better. Uh, and there's something about when a doctor tells a person you need to exercise, you need to work on your movement and this girl can help you with that. You know, they just do it. Um, so that's been a great way for me to network um, and the FMS has been really huge because it's a great way that we can communicate with each other. Right. Um, Instagram is actually kind of cool for me. Um, that one works. Um, referrals are huge though. Well, let's, I mean, let's, you know, let's talk about it. Cause your husband, Russell's a, a chiropractor. You mm-hmm. guys are definitely a power couple. Uh, so far for those, a lot of the, uh, almost all of the attendees, if not all of, almost all of the attendees of our RKC so far are all, um, chiropractors or soon to be chiropractors mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, from the strength training world, we're always said, especially if you're into the FMS that, you know, folks, you, if somebody's in pain, you refer out. So all of us should always have people in these different areas of expertise that we can refer out to. So, you know, I know for me, I have, um, you know, if you're FMS related, you should have an SFMA buddy or two or five that you can refer mm-hmm. people to. Um, I have a great acupuncturist that I refer people to. Um, I just have like a collection of people. Right. What, what is newer, I think, 
is a lot of trainers were afraid historically to refer people out to a PT because often the PT says, don't do this, stop training, is that now if you're, you know, staying on top of, you know, your education, the good PTs are actually referring strength training, like you said, and I'm glad you brought that up because I know, you know, Kathy Dooley over at, at Catalyst Sport mm-hmm. in the city, her and I are starting to swap. Like I've referred people out to her, but I'm starting to get people from her now and just seeing the progress when you work in unison. Oh, yes. It's, 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 it's kind of unbelievable, um, that model. And it, did, did Russell help set that model up for you guys? Is that sort of a part of your business plan or that's just sort of organically happened? You know, it kind of just happened. Um, he's a teacher at the chiropractic college. Um, and he hooked me up with a Cairo there. I actually started training her. She's a teacher and she has her office, uh, also. And, you know, it just started kind of spiraling from there. Um, another thing though, is my husband teaches a wellness class and what he teaches up there he teaches kettlebells and movement to the students awesome. um, and how they can incorporate these things in their practice uh, and help their patients get well. So he's also exposing a lot of the students to this. So I end up training a lot of the students also, you know, so, yeah. and, and patients or whatever. So, so yeah, it kind of just happened, you know. That's so cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting Russell. I've never met Russell. So I'm, I'm stoked to meet him while I'm Yeah, you're in for a treat and he's in for a treat too. So with you. Um, it's, it's, what's been very cool is, you know, there's, I don't want this to be disparaging on, on physical therapists, but there's definitely different types of physical therapists. Mm -hmm. And if you're in pain because you have an injury, uh, a lot of the times who you're being referred to is going to be, um, whether or not they're on insurance, it, 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 there tends to be a classic physical therapy model where they get mm-hmm. you in, you, you know you, they know you have a certain amount of sessions and you get sort of hustled around. Now, I don't mean this fully disparaging because I've had a shoulder surgery and a PCL replacement in my knee and mm-hmm. I was in that model and I'm very grateful for this guy, Steve, who helped me out, uh, another Steve. Like he, I owe him a lot. But also within that model, um, we treated the source of the pain, not what might have caused the injury to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, I was told that I would not, should never squat below parallel after the PCL replacement. Uh, so I also got a lot of the standard limitations. Now, part of that isn't the physical therapist problem. What most people don't realize to make money as a physical therapist in the insurance world is you basically have to have three to four sessions happening every hour to mm-hmm. actually make money. That is more of a traditional clinical physical therapy model when you're mm-hmm. collecting insurance. There's like, you know, you're, you're getting assessed at this moment. And then there's the moment you have electric, you know, uh, you know, the stim on the electrical stimulation on, and then there's the moment you might have the ice pack or, you know, go on this, you know, arm bike for a little bit. And it's part of the insurance process. More and more, what's been great with the FMS and SFMA and NKT and even original strength and mm-hmm. all these other groups is now we have PTs that might not accept insurance, but you're going to get an hour with that person not only finding out, you know, yeah, your knee hurts. You just had surgery. Clearly your knee has hurt. Now you've had surgery, but more importantly, maybe you haven't had the surgery yet and your knee pain actually might not be your knee at all. It's coming because there's a deficiency in movement somewhere else up the track that saves you from surgery. And the more you can find those type of people. And I view Russell as one of those, uh, is 
it's a game changer because it might cost more in that hour, right? It might be 150 bucks for that hour, 200 bucks for that hour, but it might save you surgery. Right. It might have a longer lasting result. It's going to be more personalized to you. So I, I love that that's like a big part of your feed for lack of a better phrase. Feed sounds like just bringing the money, but like (laughs) it's a great way to help people is what I should be saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, there's been several people who um, have gotten bad reports. Let's just, you know, put it that way. And um, with, you know, chiropractic, a lot of movement work and teaching people how to move properly, you know, soft tissue work. It's, it's the whole thing combined. They're able to get well and get out of pain and not have surgery. So... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. I can't tell you. Uh, so I train independently at a catalyst sport, which is Kathy Dooley's place. And there's uh-huh. just a bunch of killer PTs working out of there in addition to her. And I, I hear the, the surgery conversation all the time about how, you know, she's like, you probably don't need it. Like there's a point where you need to get a picture taken. Mm-hmm. And then there's a point where we have to look and, and, and mess. And it's, it's not ruling necessarily one out, but are we really looking at all the potential options and causes of what's going on? Um, I'm getting Doug Kachijian as at the time of this speaking, he's one of the, the head guys at resilient performance therapies. He's a resilient performance, physical therapy. And he's just as a high end physical therapist, when he talks about this line um, between physical therapy and what you and I would do as a, fitness trainer, strength coach. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about in and out of scope a lot, but that that line is so blurred when pain is not involved because we're looking at overall movement qualities and how mm-hmm. that interacts with other stuff. They just go on a, you know, much more granular level, granular, right. granular level, can't speak, um, <laughs> than we would. And I'm finding that to be fascinating because again, I'm not going to try to solve your pain. I'm going to try to make you move around it in a safe right. way, but having those connections. So I just love that that's part of your feed. And I think if anybody is thinking about an online training model, you have to think about where are people coming in from? Where are you getting your referrals? Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, it's people that have either taken courses with me or taken classes with me um, at the couple of gyms that I've been at. But if I didn't have those courses, I, I don't, there, there wouldn't be a big feed. And I think sometimes we're all like, that's going to be an easy way to make money. It's also, quite frankly, I bet you would say online training isn't easy. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Uh, I have definitely evolved with it since I started, though. And I've learned a lot of ways to make my life easier. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so I have, you know, a whole library of videos now, whereas I didn't have a lot when I started. So, you know, I'm one of those, I just kind of learn on the fly. I was like, Oh, I think I'll do online training. That's cool. Let's just, let's just start, you know? And, uh, I learned a lot about what worked and what didn't work and, uh, how I could do things better. So, um, but it, it's, it's a, um, a great way to reach more people. Yeah. Right. That, that's that's what, very true. What start how the way I got, actually got started with it was I would have people say, Oh, well, if I live closer, I would train with you, you know? And I thought, Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well then maybe if I just put it out there and I re- literally just put myself out there and said, Hey, you know, I'm going to start online training and 
I had, you know, started with one person and then, you know, here it is. So amazing. Um, what would you say is the greatest difficulty, um, with online training? Oh, the greatest difficulty. Um, you know, I guess a lot of things are easier now, but I think it's just getting through to people, uh, so that they understand that I need a lot of feedback. Like I need to know everything, not just see a video. You know, I need to know if you had pain when you were doing that, or, you know, did you connect better? Um, did you feel your lats today versus, you know, you know what I'm saying? Things yeah. like that. Like I, there's a lot of communication that needs to happen. Uh, especially in the beginning, you know, once you have somebody for a while, they have it, especially if I've ever worked with them at a certification or in person somewhere, right. you know, but yeah, a lot of feedback. I think that's the hardest part because people are busy. And one of the reasons they do online training is it's convenient. People are really busy now, you know, they can do it at home or wherever they want to do the workouts at. I plan it for home. They just have to tell me ahead of time, you know? Yeah. So, um, so anyways, yeah. Are, are, do you, do you have sort of like uh, pre-made check-in emails? Uh, are you just sort of writing it as you, as you go? Like how systematized is your check-in? Are there certain times of, of a week of a day that you check in with somebody? Uh, I, I check in once a week. Um, I send the plan and I send the, all the videos that they need. Uh, they check in with me on whatever their check-in day is. And then I update the program, but I like to do it on a weekly basis. I mean, I probably could get away with two weeks, but you know, I'm just not right in front of the person. Yeah. So I like a lot of feedback. I'm asking, cause this is definitely one of the surprising areas for me where, um, feedback has been very difficult for me to get where I feel, you know, uh, the interesting thing as my online training grew to a, a sort of bigger scope, there's people that want like mastery of form. Yeah. Want to learn these things. Right. And then there's people that just want like, what am I going to do at the gym? You know, mm -hmm. what am I, I'm going to go to my, you know, New York sports club or my blank. What am I going to do at the gym? And then there's the potential. I just need some accountability. So I know you're out there somewhere. And I, I, you know, I, I just know, and folks, if you're one of my online peeps right now, I love you dearly. This isn't a judgment call, but shoot a video <laughs> and shoot me an email because it, it, it's, it's hard sometimes to actually get something back. Like it's mm -hmm. just, and I don't know if the program is being done and I'm okay if people modify the program. I don't, you know, unless it's like, uh, you know, we have a cert coming up and I, or, you know, I don't have any be really competition based right now. That's a little different, but you know, if, if you have a short day, like I personally, one of my things that I do is I, I want these programs to fit not only your goals, but your life because time Absolutely. is such a thing. And Absolutely. I've had so many high end trainers that I respect be like, well, like how long do you train every day? And they'll tell me like an hour and a half. And then they get my program and it's like 45 to 50 minutes. And you know, they question it at first. Like I can't be working hard enough. It's half the time. And then you do, it's all about the intensity and, and what are you actually doing? Right. And then I find like, you now have 45 minutes in your life back for something other than what we're doing, whatever you want to spend that with. And that's one of those interesting things where some people are expecting me, the nickname sometimes is a blessing and a curse too. fury. They're <laughs> expecting to get this like <laughs> beat down workout. And I'm just so not that guy. I'm like, I'm, uh -huh. you know, thanks to MFF. I'm like the king of running your race. Um, 
that that's been an interesting, just getting feedback. So I'm selfishly, that was a very good thing to hear. Cause I think that is the struggle that I have that I have people that send me videos every week and I give feedback maybe twice a week and I give feedback. I have people that want to hop on, you know, FaceTime or something and mm-hmm. talk, but that's become less and less. And I'm like, that's like one-on-one time. Like what we're doing right now is we're recording. This is through a, a, a comp video conference that isn't being taken advantage. So, so in some ways I'm like, you're not even taking advantage of all I have to offer. And it right. makes my life easier, but I, it's harder to guarantee results, if, mm-hmm. especially if you're not doing the program. So you don't, do you do anything like Skype? I'm going to interview you now. Do you do anything like Skype where you actually are looking at the person like we're doing right now? Yes. If it's usually, um, if I get an email, I do an email check-in. I try to check in every week, unless the person's already checked in with me, right? Then we're already Mm -hmm. just having follow-ups. But if I haven't heard, I try to check in every week. And I should say, I do check in every week unless we've had a conversation. Some people I get to see in the gym or in a class, so it's Mm -hmm. not quite email check-ins. And then if they need to get on, so um, my friend Danny was training for an RKC and maybe once to twice a month on his program, I program out four weeks in advance and we would hop on FaceTime, go over technique. So he'd be able to show me a set of swings and I could go over it there. Or just to have this conversation about like, you know, how hard should I be working? You know, like what's a, what's an RP of seven out of 10? What does that actually need? How, how should I be gauging weights? Um, I have a private Facebook group and I'll put on some tips up on there. Uh, so I try to keep it interactive, but admittedly, like sometimes I send out those responses and it takes a while to get a response back. And usually it's still super positive. Like that's the, that's the weird part where you're like, Hey, I'm ready for my new program. I haven't heard from you in a month, but it was awesome. (laughs) You know, and and I get that that might be what I want my agenda as their online coach to be versus what they want their service to be. Mm -hmm. They might not want to see this creepy face, like in a FaceTime mirror or send an email. (laughs) Now, see, I do all of mine through Facebook, all through Facebook messaging, because people can load videos through there. Um, if they're not great with videos and then, you know, I encourage them to set up a YouTube channel. Yeah. I tried, I tried to do it through YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Where is your exercise library stored? Is it through YouTube or are you using a service? No, YouTube, all through YouTube. Are they unlisted links and you send them that link? Yeah. I do the same thing. I, um, some friends have been asking, you know, uh, I know there's trainerize and a couple of other of those. And I I just don't know if I've gotten to the point, my friend, Travis Johnson actually is coming up with a service that uh, I, I, folks, I'll fill you in more on that when I, when Uh I get to try it out. Um, Travis is a brilliant cat. Um, I'm looking forward to transferring some stuff over there and trying it, but, uh, I've just been on YouTube unlisted links. I think the organization and search function, I need to come up with a slightly better system. Sometimes I find myself scrubbing through my own videos to find the specific movement, mm-hmm. but it's, I've probably up to about 150 movements in the library. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always rewarding when they're suddenly like, you know, you shoot like a clip of 10 and you're like, I got new, new stuff. To I know. <laughs> um, but then it's also tricky when, you, you know, for me, it's like, I might have somebody from a, you know, a DVRT ultimate sandbag course. So I have to have a lot of sandbag specific stuff that I can't use unless I can, I shouldn't say talk them into buying the product, but like right. they have to be willing and open to it. Right. Um, which I'm trying to do more and more, but if they're going to a blank as of now, they're not going to have access to that. So it's, mm-hmm still trying to find some dumbbell barbell stuff that's safe for somebody to do without me being there. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I probably have, I use whatever equipment people have. Yep. You know, so I have lots of dumbbells, but more kettlebells and body weight than anything. I mean, you know, so, uh, and a lot of people come to me because they want to learn kettlebells. Yeah. You know, so, um, but you know, on YouTube, you can hit video manager and it will pop up a search bar. And then all you have to do is punch it in. I I don't know if it's my browser. I do know that, but I've had issues where it actually isn't searching the video and I I haven't been able Mm -hmm. to figure out what the bug is. So if I pop up that Mm -hmm. field and I type in, it doesn't go to something that I have that's unlisted for some reason. So what I'm going to, what I'm in the process of creating basically is a word doc where Uh I have all the links that I can literally just copy, not even the link. I can copy and paste the hyperlinked exercise title. So I can have like my ballistics, my grinds, my, you know, lunge variations, blah, blah, blah. So instead of even having to re-hyperlink the link, I can just copy, this is the push-up video, put that there. This is the kettlebell swing, put that there. Uh, I've just been lazy on that aspect of it. <laughs> um, you know, because I think what, uh, you know, in terms of simplification, everyone's program is personalized to them. But clearly, if I have three people training for an RKC, there's going to be similarities in their programs. Mm -hmm. So that's also been a way that I've been able to be efficient is, you know, uh, using the similar aspects of these programs as I move forward on them. Right. That's cool. What what has been uh, on the flip side of this? What has been like sort of uh, the biggest gain, the coolest success you've had in terms of your online training? Uh, Like with a client? Yeah. Or just an overall, like, the online training experience? Oh, well, uh, well, the coolest thing, uh, I have to think about success, but the coolest thing is just getting to train people all over the world, like, literally. That's so much fun. You know, um, like, my my newest, it's a a couple, the wife started in New Zealand, uh, and then her husband decided he wanted to train, you know, so... Yeah. So that's just really cool. Um, that makes it fun for me. Um, not that, you know, but I definitely get to hear some cool accents on, (laughs) you know, on the videos when they're talking to me and whatever. Um, and and sometimes the language sometimes just depends, you know, uh, I had one, uh, in Germany and she's like, I hope, I hope, the language is not a barrier. And I thought, well, as long as you speak my language, we're good. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> right. you know, so, um, but you know, it ended up working out. Um, but I've enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, you know, I think what maybe the, the uh, success part of it, it, you know, it caters to a different client. And that's true. It, it does. And, and, you know, uh, it is really cool and it's more like personal training, but most people online take that extra initiative, uh, cause they're pretty serious about it. If they're willing to get a program and do it on their own, you know? So as far as the success rate, um, for the ones who give me a lot of feedback, I feel like we're able to get some, I won't say greater results, but some pretty darn good ones versus maybe if somebody's just coming in. And that I know that sounds crazy, 
and maybe it's more due to um, sometimes it's just a different type of client who is geared toward the online, you know? Yeah, I, I've, I've found on my end, again, I, I've mentioned, so I've always had a few online training clients, whether it's mostly for cert or cert related or post cert related or prepping for like, you know, level two or something. And mm-hmm. my friend Hillary, Hillary went through a, a DVRT level one and level two in Boston and she signed up for online training and it was just, you know, no specific goal other than getting stronger, moving better, getting more acquainted with, you know, DVRT in the system. And with her, it's like, you know, she was sort of like the prodigy and the prototype all in one of like, okay, we're going to go long-term. This is not a cert date at the end of this thing. Mm -hmm. And she crushed her RKC last year. I believe she was five and a half months pregnant. And, you know, not only did she crush it, but because we had been consistently programming in an, you know, and I hate to say it folks, let's just say this in an educated manner. If you're training with somebody online, it should be because you can trust in their programming. And that, you know, that's something that I I know Beth delivers on that I'm going to say that I can deliver on. And it wasn't like suddenly we had a ramp up snatch test training. We just had months and months to slowly build stuff up where it's not this big, like, Oh my gosh, am I going to get it? Because you've had the patience to do it because you've had a long-term goal or you've just been training so well that the baseline's there. You know, I know in strength faction, you know, when we have the programs there, you know, it's, there, there's focuses of the program, but like the focus is never to crush a snatch test, but you don't need to modify too much to suddenly, if you have good strength training to suddenly crush a snatch test, right? Uh, you're adding some skill and, you know, and, and some volume onto a strong baseline. And those are the moments that sort of that she's actually one of the, one, one of the initial people that I was like, you know what, I can actually do a better job with more people if I focus this long-term instead of getting sort of stuck in this, like prepping for a cert world. And then if she wanted to take a course, she took a course, right. um, you, you know, and was just prepared for it. And I know my, on the other side of this, so she's a trainer in Maine. Um, my friend Megan, who would, was just sort of like a kettlebell fan would come in to the gym to like, you know, can we work on get-ups or snatches every now and then? And she just crushes it at her crunch, right? She goes to her big box gym Um, she has that mission mode that this is my training time and I want to be awesome. And she has the plan and she does the plan and she crushes it. And that's been really cool for me to see how far people can thrive on it without Mm -hmm. you there. Now, both of these people do check-ins too. So I think it does go, the more you can check in, the more, uh, you can potentially get out of it. Mm -hmm. But that's just so cool. It's such a good aspect of the online world that, you know, I would never be able to train with Hillary because she's in Maine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not an issue for Meg per se, but for some people, they just can't afford to train with us. Um, And that's like a realistic, I can't judge people for that. But I'm also at the flip side. I'm like, I can't lower my rates because I have mouths to feed. Um, Exactly. That that's an, another hard aspect of training for for us, right? Like it's like, man, you know, I might be a little slow. Should I drop my rates? But then, how many senior RKCs are there? How many Iron Maidens are there? You know what I mean? Like how many people with the dumb nickname like Coach Fury are there <laughs> <laughs> with the with the podcast? Where uh, did that come from, anyways? All right, so I, I, I'll tell you in Georgia, folks. I, I, 
I'm not incredibly proud of the story of yeah. how I got my nickname, but I did lose my temper, and the original nickname was Bald Fury. I got mad at a neighbor, and as I was just basically losing my top, um, two friends started yelling Bald Fury. And in my previous career, Bald Fury stuck and would become my work email, like baldfury at click3x.com. Uh-huh. And then when I became a coach, I have never been a, like on a team in my life. So I'm a, a skate punk dirtbag. Like I was never a team guy. I've been to two baseball games in my life. I've never been to a football game. I've never been to a basketball game. Uh, I've been to a few hockey games. I'm a professional wrestling guy. And I like going to, you know, if anything, uh, I'm a mosh pit guy. And it just sounded to be officially a certified coach. It just sounded funny to me if, in all due respect to be, coach fury just like all of a sudden this dirtbag is a coach um (laughs) but then i also you know started to really embrace what being coach means and it's we're teachers like it's a teacher um you know you're 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 a point of uh education and motivation and you know there's a lot to go with it so i'm I'm really glad i actually went with that um and then the name stuck because it at Mark Fisher Fitness, everyone basically has a nickname. And when I got a job there, I was the first one that actually already had my nickname. So it mm-hmm. wasn't anointed a nickname. I came in with it. So literally, if it would say like on an employee sheet, you know, real name, nickname, it, my real name would be listed as Coach Fury. My nickname would be Fury. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm teaching workshops, telling people, come visit me at MFF. And if you used my real name, Steve, no one, they'd be like, there's no Steve here. Uh-huh. So it led to a few years of those awkward conversations of like, hi, I'm uh, Fury. Um, yeah, Fury. <laughs> and now it's, just, now it's just stuck. And let's be honest, if you're going to search somebody for training online or otherwise, it's certainly easier to Google Coach Fury than Coach Steve Holliner. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm not necessarily proud of the incident that the, the nickname came from, but it was, uh, I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm stoked I at least didn't give myself the nickname. This was not Avengers related. This was pure rage related. You know, there was no Sam <laughs> Jackson, Nick Fury at the time of this thing. It has nothing to do with the Avengers. Um, I have, uh, uh, I'm much better at it. Thank you to the coaching world and uh, emotional intelligence development and <laughs> better defined human being. But when I lose my stack, it is often uh, embarrassingly funny and potentially life threatening. So mm. I've tried to, uh, uh, be a better person about that. But <laughs> I'm not going to say it on the podcast because it's just I'm not I'm not proud of it anymore in that respect. But if folks uh, have a drink with me at a cert or a course, uh, if you come join us in Marietta, I'll, I'll tell you why, and then you're going to be like, oh, "Fury's just an ass." But hopefully, I've won you over enough at that point. All right, so let's let's move on from online training. I want to talk about. Um, uh, you becoming an Iron Maiden. And for those that don't know, in the hard style lands, whether it's the RKC or Strong First, we have a, a Beast Tamer Challenge and an Iron Maiden Challenge. The Beast Tamer is a 48K kettlebell, 106-pound kettlebell, a strict overhead press. We press it to lock out overhead. You put the kettlebell on a belt around your waist and do a strict pull-up, and you do a pistol squat. Now, a pistol squat is a single-leg squat while holding a 106-pound kettlebell all the way below parallel and then driving up under control. The beast is the 48K. The the women's version of that is the Iron Maiden and it's done with the 24K kettlebell. That's 53 pounds. And 
what's been really cool to see in my seven years of being a member of the hardstyle community um, is it's happening more often now. But at the time, I think, Beth, when you went through and, you know, Val Headland, there weren't a lot of women that were getting this thing. And I would say, I think certainly Val, who I think might have been just one or two before you, was she? She was one before me. Right? So, like, literally helping to blow down the doors on, A, not only is this achievable, um, but also in helping to program for it. How long would you say from the, the, the idea got in your head to train for it into accomplishing the task? How long was that training period? Uh, let's see. I was at the RKC, which I think you were at with me. Which were one was you that? At, uh, the uh, sports center, ESPN sports center. Did you do it that year? No, I was in Donington. I was so okay. I was in Donington, and it, well, it was AKA the Philly, but it was outside of Philly. Twenty ten was mine. I think you. Okay, in- well, I was in twenty ten also. Uh, that was where I was first introduced to it because I took my RKC, and there was a guy who tested, and I kept going, "What's that? Like, what is it?" And then you know, somebody says, "Oh, well, um, you know, they there's a there's a, a girl can do it, but you do you know," and tried to explain it to me or whatever, and I was just like, "Wow, that's cool." So. I think that was in, I, I think it was right around eight months later because as oh, soon as wow. I took my RKC, uh, I went home and I tested. I thought, well, I'll just see how, what I can do for all the lifts, you know, to see where I'm at. And it was like, it might've, I don't know Well, I tested and I played around a little bit. And then I remember seeing Karen Smith. And I was like, oh, that girl, she just tested, you know, um, I think, I think it was her, but anyhow, and then I was like, okay. So anyways, um, I started, it was about four months and I tested the first time at my RKC level two, because I kind of was just casual about it because I'd never really trained leading up to an event before, you know, like I knew how to get myself strong and I know, you know, how to train people, but I wasn't that was probably what I would say would be a a weak spot for me. You know, I didn't train for leading up to competitions for people or for myself. So I didn't have a lot of experience with that, but I thought, you know, I'll just see how close I can get. And if I get there, I'll test. Well, so few weeks before I had all the lifts, uh, and then I ended up flying out and staying with Val Headland actually, and, uh, two, two other girls. And, I tested that weekend and missed my press. I did it twice and they were like, you know, and I'm uh, like, but it's over my head. Like what the heck? And you was know, it side bend or knees, which, what, which, uh, what, it was a little bit of that. Yeah. And it, you know, and I just didn't quite get it, you know, at the time. And, um, anyhow, so you know, I hate to say I was very upset because I had gotten it, you know, but I was exhausted, um, just from the, you know, all the time leading up to the testing. And, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't good for like a couple of reps with each lift, except for my pull up. That one was always easy for me. Um, but, and then I ended up testing, uh, later on, you know, so I, and I had to go back and do some work and, you know, 
um, I learned a lot from missing it. So I don't regret that. And, you know, everybody would say something like that, but I really, I don't because I learned so much about what went wrong. And I think the biggest thing for me was being in pain while I was training. Um, and just not, I'm just like, well, you know, you just push through. I mean, you know, my shoulders hurt, my hips hurt, whatever. You just keep pressing through or whatever. And, uh, so it was a long, it was a long journey for me having to, after I tested, maintain that strength yeah. <laughs> until I tested the next time, which was probably a good, I don't know, eight months. And that's it's, a long time to have to maintain. It's, it's, a, it's, it's especially, it's, it's a, it's a long time to sit on three core lifts because you do have to make them such an essential part of your training mm-hmm. that, um, for, for those that don't know, so the, the you know, in our case here in SFG are, are three day certs and the beast tamer iron maiden thing happens at lunch, uh, during the first day, usually. So you are not coming in fresh. And if you travel to a cert and I never used to take this into account is, you know, driving for hours or being on a plane mm-hmm. has an impact unless you've been used to competing in that fashion. Um, you know, for, for those that listen to the James Newman episode, I flew to, uh, Arizona expecting to crush the DVRT clean and press test and did horribly. And I love that you said how much you learned from failing because my uh, part of the only reason why I'm here today is because of some of my fails. I trained for my press for my level two. I had it on video from two days prior. They wouldn't accept the video because it was two days earlier. <laughs> and it, not only did it suck, it like really bummed me out for that, that course. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't enjoy it or absorb as much as I, as I probably could have if I didn't let that get in my head. But when I landed, I, 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 I landed, I was home. The stress was off. I got it right away. But then I came up with the training plan. And within like, I don't remember the exact timeline anymore, but within like a couple of short months, like I, you know, my press was supposed to be a 44 and you know, I could barely get a single on either side and it would be maybe 70% of the time. And after like, you know, a few months program, I was able to do double 44 and beast on each side. And I wrote something on the RKC forum and about what I did. And Pavel asked me to write my first blog. And I remember just as a, as a member being like, holy shit, the chief just asked me to write something. And then people started reaching out to me about training, right? About, mm-hmm. about how do you get this press? Um, the same thing with the DVRT thing. When I failed that thing so badly, it wasn't just, it wasn't strength, quite frankly. It was mental and technique. Mm-hmm. And I passed it the next day. And that program has led to a lot of people passing that course. So I've been able to help a lot of people from that fail. And I think we lose sight of that. And I think injuries are a good one for us too, where... I've chased Beast Tamer several times, and in every, for one way or another, I end up getting hurt trying mm-hmm. it because I'm trying to push too heavy too often mm-hmm. without enough movement variability thrown in. And so if, if for the ladies and gentlemen that are out there thinking about training for these things, just be patient. You know, there's always going to be an opportunity to take it, although I know a deadline comes up or a local cert and you want to make it happen. Gauge truly how close you are so that you can go into that room knowing that you have it and that shouldn't be a question. Well, I think that was one thing, too, when I was at my RKC uh, or at level two when I missed my press. You know, um, Pavel was uh, very helpful. Um, Clearly, somebody had told him that I had, you know, 
stayed with other girls, you know, and it, you know, and, and the travel. And so, you know, he came over and just talked to me about, you know, look, you know, you have to take into account that you're going to be exhausted, you know, um, just all of the things that you just said, basically, you know, mm-hmm. and I think one of the funniest things in the end, is, and I just looked and I said, I'm, I'm totally just exhausted. I'm tired. You know, mentally I was exhausted. Physically I was exhausted and just getting wound up about the whole thing, you know, like, or whatever. Um, but anyways, I, uh, I said, you know, I'm just exhausted. And he's like, but if you could do it all with the 62, it wouldn't matter or the 28 kilo. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm, okay, I get it. You know, in other words, if you can do it in your sleep, it doesn't matter, yep. you know, cause we had discussed that I had gotten it two weeks before, but yeah, I only got one. You, you see? So, I mean, the learning was from that to actually working on mobility issues, you know, um, and coming back so strong when I, I did get it, like everything was easy. Like it felt really good. So, I mean, it was like one of those moments for me that it wasn't even the moment. It was everything that I learned leading up to the moment. Cause the moment's like that. And then you're like, okay, well that's it. Right. It's over. Yeah. So, but everything that I learned up to that point, you know, and even programming about, you know, FMS, Andrew Reed was, um, he programmed FM, all the FMS and the corrective work that I needed. Cause I had just come, come off of FMS and then I was going to test in like six weeks. And my score was like, I don't know, I was like a 12 and I was the strongest I'd ever been in my life, but I couldn't move. Yeah. And, you know, and of course, if you know, Andrew, he's like, you know, no wonder you're hurting, you know, I mean, or whatever. And so he programmed it all together. And I loved having a coach because I didn't worry about it like I did before leading up to it. You know, I trusted him. Yeah. Uh, I learned a lot about programming and I killed the lifts. I was just like, this is crazy. You know? That's so cool. I, I know when Val, um, after she passed, uh, very shortly after she showed the video, she had it with the 28. Yeah, I know. It, that it was super cool. Laughter. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's always these comfort levels. And I think for, for any of you folks training for a hard style cert, whether it's a snatch test or a level one with the press uh, or, you know, it, it shouldn't be a question mark as best as your ability, you know, um, sometimes the cert date comes up, right? So mm-hmm. you might not get the snatch test because maybe you just needed like literally two extra months that you don't have. And quite frankly, I, I don't think you should pass on the cert because you're not going to pass the snatch test. Like you should go to the cert, submit the video for the snatch test. Like I want mm-hmm. you to come for the learning experience. Right. Um, it's not how can you coach people on snatch tests. It's how can you train people and have them co- and coach them effectively and program with kettlebells. So I think that's sometimes a lost art, but when it comes to like chasing certain things, uh, if you can allow yourself more time, one of the things that I, I think is nice that we, we don't do as many level twos as we used to is that you, you would see people like, and I rushed it pretty much. I think I went through my, my my level one at the end of uh, at the end of September, and I think I went through my level two in either June or July, and that was pretty mm-hmm. 
pretty quick. Mind you, I failed my pat my my press, but I, I had a pretty good baseline going in. But there was like this window where, and I don't know if it doesn't happen so much anymore. At least I don't think it does. That it was like I just passed my level one. Now it's my level two. Now it's my level one. You know, it's like what's next? It's like can right. we just actually take some time to get good, <laughs> really, yeah. really, really good at the level one stuff, and we'll get stronger in that process. Right. Um, how do you think one of the things I talk a lot about that I think is both a, a, a good or a good and a bad is now when, when we were going through, we didn't have as many kettlebell sizes. Mm-hmm. And I think in particular for women having like the, the 14 K and the 18 K and the 22 K have like really helped set the training up to crush, um, a, a little bit more deliberately say the Iron Maiden challenge mm-hmm. on the flip side of that. I also think having these sizes and now it's like, you know, 26, 30, we 30 K all, all yeah. also takes away. I think some of like that amazing, what the hell effect that kettlebells deliver where you're stuck living with the bell and you mm-hmm. make it harder by adding a few reps or moving your tempo or, you know, changing the complexity of the movement to some degree. How do you think those sizes have helped um, people program stuff out for that? Uh, well, I, I, especially for females, you know, I work predominantly with females, but especially when it comes to pressing, uh, it's definitely easier to work, work them up in their presses in the five pound increments, uh, versus, you know, the jumps. But when it comes to swings, the ballistics, um, I like the 10 pound jumps. Like, you, you know, unless they're just a little skittish about snatching the, the next weight, yeah, I'll give it to them just so they can get over the fear and then hand them the, the next, you know, 10 pound jump. I like having to earn it though. And even though it does make pressing a little bit easier, you know, um, I mean, it, there's something about we all want it right now, you know, and People don't stay, like you were saying with the RKC, spend time, do the work, build a foundation. And that's what happens with online training a lot too, right? If they do the long-term training, you get to build that foundation with people, you know? So I think with the bigger size kettlebells, it forces you to work because I didn't have any of those. It would have been helpful on a press for sure, you know, because you should have seen me. I was taping a small kettlebell <laughs> to, to try to get, you know, in between the 44 and the 53, you know, or whatever. And so it really would have been helpful for that, you know? So, I mean, you know, with my clients, I, I do what's necessary, you know? Um, and I use what I have because I have all of the, I call them tweeners. Yeah. We have them all painted white, <laughs> you know, so they know they're the increments or whatever. But, um, but yeah, you know, the, uh- it, they're all good for different reasons. I love that you think we used, I used to call them Frankenbells. I would literally have like uh, gorilla tape in my locker um, prior to some of these sizes to be able to tape plates, like, you know, like two and a half uh-huh. pound plates to the bells, like uh-huh. securely um, to try to get some of those half sizes. But, you know, that's another thing with like, you know, things like the rite of passage. Um, 
it, it, it's an interesting thing in kettlebell land where we can talk about, you know, uh, you know, the skill where, you know, with swings, we don't want to go over 10 reps a lot of the time, but then we have a snatch test, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with presses, you know, generally want to stay in fives and threes and twos and all those things. But there is something to be said about doing a ladder where at the end of your session within a 15 minute window, you might've done 30 presses per side. Mm-hmm. The right. goal is not to do 30 presses per side every session, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And I think think that's one of those things where some of those program elements get lost because of the, well, instead of doing this bell this many times, three sets of seven, you know, oh my gosh, I went over five, we're going seven. I'm just going to use the heavier one for three. And they both have a benefit, but I think there is something when you combine both of them versus just cutting a rep and going heavier every time. Uh, folks, pardon me for my dog Ramona is barking. If you're hearing that, <laughs> let her continue. Um, super cool. Um, let me just check my notes real quick. Cause I had another question that I wanted to ask you before we get into some of the nerdy stuff. Oh, what would you say? Cause you know, one of the cool things that I didn't expect to come up in certain land is I certainly never expected to be a, a certification instructor. I never thought this would be a thing. Um, I know that when I went through my first RKC, my, my former boss, Steve Mellison, one of my main mentors, uh, gave me my first shot, was an assistant. And Sandy and Lena were the other assistants. Sandy Summer and Lena Caracelli Richmond. And they did such an amazing job that my main goal was just to get good at these things and then to assist one day to sort of pay it forward for them. Um, I also didn't know that trainers traveled and did all this education stuff because this was just mm-hmm. now... Uh, I only sort of went, started part-time literally after passing my RKC. And I didn't know that this was part of our world of getting to sort of travel around, meeting all these awesome people and making friends, right? And and awareness. Like it is a global community that is both massive and way smaller. Uh, I think most of us in kettlebell land know each other by fewer degrees of separation than Kevin Bacon. Um, (laughs) What is one of like the craziest sort of cert experiences you've, you've, either been involved in or witnessed that at an event, whether you were teaching it or just an attendee at something? Um, well, as a, as an attendee, I would have to say my RKC, um, you know, that was, you know, my HKC was pretty intense. Um, and there were like 25 people there. RKC, I would say there was probably close to, I don't know, I don't know, 100 people. It was just like lots of people under that huge tent on turf. But, you know, um, so that was my first really big event like that. And I'm going to say it was the craziest because in a good way, because I had never been to something where there was so much unity and passion for learning, growing, and working with this one tool, <laughs> you know, yeah. and the, and we, you know, we, we all wanted to pass, you know, so there was like a lot of emotions and things like that going on, you know, but the energy was crazy. Like, you know, um, I mean that even at level two, you know, it's, it's definitely a different energy, you know, you've already been through level one or whatever, you know, so it's different, it's a different energy, but I mean, there were so many people there and we were cheering each other on, you know, and I mean, people who weren't even in our groups and I don't know, it was just crazy energy wise. That was, uh, the first time, you know, I had met a lot of the instructors and, um, 
uh, let's see, there was something else I was going to mention. Oh, and, and I think you mentioned this earlier, but having to carry the kettlebells, like some of it was just like, what? We had to carry your kettlebell to the bathroom? You <laughs> yeah. know? And I'm like, and we had to carry it to lunch. And, you know, my test weight was like a 16 because back then I don't think you had a choice. It was, you know, with the weight, yeah, you know, you no didn't get... There was no 14s, so um, no. women that, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and gentlemen that, like, you know, are, like, concerned about the 22, just know you were doing a 24 or a 16 back in the day. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think you hear, you know, we try not to do these, uh, well, back in my day in the RKC or whatever, it was, <laughs> but it was harder. What, what, what Beth and I were talking about is, um, and I've mentioned this several times in blogs and stuff, is when we went the error that we went through the RKC, which I didn't realize was so, so close. Um, it would have been rad if we were at the same one. Mm-hmm. Um, you basically walked in, handed in your paperwork, did five pull-ups, tactical pull-ups or flex arm hang, grabbed your snatch bell. You had an announcement, an introduction, a warm up, go snatch <laughs> test with no training on how to actually snatch. Right. And if you failed that, on the first one, you know, and we're talking, we were just saying how like, you never know how your performance is going to be when you drive out. There were not a lot of these that mostly, um, you know, they would hit one big city or two big cities along the East coast. Um, there were no New York certs other than HKCs. Like basically they were in Philly, uh, or they were in St. Paul. I don't even know, or in California. Those were like really the three markets at the time, maybe in Chicago, Chicago Mm -hmm. was one of the markets. So you have 80 to hundred people traveling in, and within 30 minutes, you're snatch testing. And if you failed that thing, um, you were crushed for the whole time, right? And you had to, and if you passed and still managed to tear your hands, you then had to swing thousands of times over the course of this weekend. Now, I was very fortunate that I was very prepared for my snatch test. The one thing I didn't expect for was like brand new bells. And I got the friction burn where I didn't tear calluses, but like in the palm, it was going yeah. in the right place, but I just got friction burn. So I was wearing gardening gloves for most of the cert at this point. Um, and every time I had to grab bells for a clean or swing or a snatch, my hands killed. Well, it was only one hand, one hand killed. And then it would go numb. <laughs> and then. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and my, you know, Steve Mills, my assistant, would have to tape my hand basically every two hours because it would just shift all over the place. But you had to bring your kettlebell to the bathroom and through lunch, and then you were mm-hmm. done. Like, you just had to walk around with it. If you, there were only two approved sitting positions, and yes. if you were caught in that, the entire group of uh, 80 to 100 people had to do a punishment carry or punishment swings. Mm-hmm. And it was really... Um, there was something exciting about it that you took it heart attack seriousness <laughs> and as a, somebody who went into it i i want it was a there was very mysterious at this point there weren't a lot of people you could talk to about what was happening there wasn't a lot of youtube videos there were no like this is the hard style snatch on youtube it was like you had none of that and right. it was exciting and i loved it and i felt so good when i passed like i was very proud as an enthusiast about to turn into part-time trainer that I crushed this thing. And I've said this many times before, if you were to put me in that room tomorrow for my first kettlebell cert as a a person that I am now, I would leave the moment you told me how to take a kettlebell to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And none of the organizations do it to that level anymore. But, you know, it's one of those weird ones where there was this energy and this camaraderie that was like through the roof. 
Because <laughs> let's be honest, we've all been working very hard, spent a lot of money, and it was jacked on fear. Like, it, jacked on it nerves. It really was. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, is just not the greatest of learning environments for a fitness professional. I think if you're a, a responder, you're in the military, like you need to be able to learn how to handle that aspect of it. Right. But on the gym floor, <laughs> it's, it's not like that. You basically just need to like make sure people are moving safe, you know, moving safe, performing well and, and, and crushing their goals, you know, doing the right things. Right. Um, and that's one of the things that I'm super grateful for. But I, I totally hear you on that, that level and energy, especially when it's your first one. Mm-hmm. And people still come into the smaller ones and they have that, 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 that anxiety about and fear of the snatch test, but you can make the rest of this experience so much more enjoyable. And now the snatch test also folks is, it's like uh, it's day two um, where we actually get to train you how to swing and then how to use your hips and hamstrings effectively. And then how to snatch. Um, I'll say that for mine, aside from just the glory of, the level one experience. Well, I'll say here's like a, like a funny moment. So I'm with my, 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 my former coworkers, my former boss, Steve Mills and Emily Bearden. Um, uh, and we go to have, they used to have this like group dinner. Um, and we went, it was, uh, it was in the actual hotel that we were staying the host, host, the host location hotel. And we just sat at a random table, right? We just picked a table. We sat at the table for food and all of a sudden Pavel, John Duquesne, and Mark Toomey sit at the same table. And we were like so intimidated. We were like, you guys can have our seats. We're going to move now. And they're like, no, 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 stay. And we're like, nope. We're going to get the fuck out of here right now. Because it was like, like, what do we do? And, you know, clearly, like, over time, one of the great things about the, the courses back in the day is you would then see these people often. Like, you got to know Pavel. You got to know Mark. You got to know John. Clearly, we, we still get to, you know, John's become uh, somebody that has helped me tremendously in my career and is somebody who's a friend. And I have gotten friendly with, like, you know, to me and Pavel. Like, it was super cool. But at that point, I was so scared and so nervous about it. Right. But I remember going to my CKFMS um, about a year later and finally starting to not, you know, branch between the things that I've been teaching, really starting to understand about like movement on a higher level and how to not only assess it, but also how do I correct things other than the handful of things I already had knowledge of, right? How to have like a, a grander view. Like I loved it. And yeah. the first cert where I didn't go to anybody from my gym. So I made so many friends at that course. Um, cause I was forced to hang out with new people and I'm forever grateful for that friendship bonding experience. It was mm-hmm. also oddly as my marriage was ending. Um, so I had this weird, like sense of like, I'm freedom, life is falling apart. I can just really embrace these four days. It's a four day course. Yeah. Um, and then the weirdest moment of that was, uh, the, you know, Gray used to have us, there's uh, the, the rec center in, in Minnesota is where we used to do a bunch of courses. And I would love to go back there because you think of the history of, of hard style and, and the strong and amazing coaches and people that have been there um, mm-hmm. and what's gone down in that place. But Gray Cook would have us do crawling with partners where we would use a band to pull somebody or, you know, create extra resistance or race people while crawling across this gymnasium. And it was this whole thing about how, you know, crawling is self-regulating. You really can't hurt yourself crawling as long as you don't try to crawl too far. You know, like you can just stop. You're close to the ground. And someone on my team 
um, got caught going ipsilateral, same side. So folks, your meant to walk where if you, if your right arm is forward, your left leg is forward, right? That's what we call contralateral. It's your gait pattern. If you were to try to stand up right now while you're listening, you might be standing up on this and tried to walk left arm, left leg at the same time. It's very weird. So if you were to crawl that way, um, it's, <laughs> it just looks like something out of the exorcist and this cat on my team, I'm not making fun of him, but got caught same side crawling with a ton of hip sway left and right. So he looked like this crazy exorcist spider and people were like yelling, stop and go contra, go contra, you're same side, you're same side. And we're in this middle of this self-limiting exercise demo, which was super fun. I mean, we're talking hundreds of people racing around. Yeah. He collapsed and had to have an ambulance come. So it was a combination of dehydration, which I suffered from a little bit of that weekend because you'd end up on this outside field a lot sweating. But I also now, as somebody who teaches for original strength and and DBRT, really understanding sling systems and how the vestibular system works and contralateral movement, I think he also fried his central nervous system out because his brain was not understanding the gait pattern that was now under three days of stress high speed group environment. And so we had this amazing, massive race and everybody's having a great time. And then we had this really bizarre looking movement. I'm not shaming the guy folks. It's just, it is what it is. Um, and then all of a sudden there's an ambulance off of like a crawl game basically. And he was, he was fine. Um, but I remember that really sticking out. Um, those are the moments. And then like, just like the jokes at dinner and stuff that, yeah. you yeah. know, getting to well, hang out with people. I'll tell you something, um, as far as a funny experience, uh, when the first time I taught at my very first RKC, um, I had to teach the snatch. And so anyways, so, you know, I had worked really hard, prepared and whatever, And so I get up there and I start teaching. And then all of a sudden, like, I see some of the other leaders in the background. And it's, you know, and I'm trying to stay really focused, but I notice they're sort of together and they're chatting. And then I see a little of this. And so, and, you know, and so I kind of, you know, while they were doing their drills, I kind of pulled myself back together, whatever. And so, uh, so anyways, when it was over, I won't say any names, John Ingham and Michael Kripka, <laughs> but they were making fun of me. And so uh, John Ingham came up to me. He goes, you did an excellent job teaching. Just don't ever say right again. And I was like, but I didn't say it. He's like, oh, oh, yes, you did. Everything you would say, it, it was like, right, right, Right. It was like a nervous, just, you know what I mean? Cause you know, you're nervous the first time you're out there and I'm, I'm among people that I've looked up to and yeah. you know, or whatever. And anyways, I'm the kind of person who absolutely can make fun of myself and get a kick out of something like that. But it was really funny. Like once I figured it out and they were very helpful, you know, because teaching is something that you have to work on to get better at, you know, especially in front of people, Completely. like in a large group and handle a lot of people or whatever, you know, but it was just really funny. I mean, and we laughed about it, you know, um, but anyway, so that was, you know, one of those funny moments teaching for me. I I remember there was one where I was an assistant instructor. I I believe it was the RKC in Philly in 2012. I I got to assist two years later at the location that I certified at. And there's this drill uh, pulling 
into the squat drill where you lay on your back and an instructor takes a heel, you're basically your, your feet and you pull while you're on your right. back on the floor into a squat. And it was after lunch. So we're, you know, squatting after lunch is always the best of ideas. Um, <laughs> this story's not going where you're going, but, um, I believe it was Steve Friedis and John Hines. They, they, they were brought up to do the drill with me and they each grabbed one of my feet. <laughs> so I'm now trying to pull into the squat and I'm just sliding on the floor towards them. And then it was like, oh, no, no, no. Just, just one person and let, let him win. Um, it, it's interesting that you say that because it's come up a couple of times, you know, that there is... Uh, when you get into one of these groups that you want to potentially maybe teach for or assist at, like I think everybody should assist in everything that they're very interested in, you should assist at least once, if not three or more times. I, it just mm-hmm. hearing other perspectives, getting the refresh. Um, you always leave wondering, am I doing that right? And the manual is usually a good backup, but most manuals don't have pictures. Like it's really mm-hmm. hard to do it. Um, but when you make that step up from being an assistant to actually starting to lead the room, suddenly there's this whole thing. Like it's, are, are you uh, commanding the room? Are you pacing the course? Are you speaking too fast? Are you speaking too slow? Are you saying, um, look, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. All the time. Uh, as I just said, uh, those things start to come into play where those are the things we try to sharpen up as the presenter, the presenter side. Cause at a, at a certain point, this, this skill becomes the easy part. Mm-hmm. right? Like I'm, I can clean now. I, I'm not going to be concerned about the clean. I know how to do a kettlebell clean, but can I explain this clearer this time than I did the last time? And those are the skills that I don't think enough of us, enough people understand that we actually have to work on because mm-hmm. we teach classes that it's a weird one where you can teach a class. Like for example, anybody teaching their first workshop or certification. So in, in, in DVRT land, a lot of us are teaching their first DVRT workshop and it's a new format. And we could be in front of classes doing groups of people, five to 20 people and have zero nerves about it. But then suddenly it's a workshop or a course and it's four or five hours longer or a day. And the pressure is super high. Mm-hmm. Now, one of that is because people are spending a higher dollar per day amount of money and you want to look good. You want the system to look good. You want them to have carryaways. Uh, carryaways. You want takeaways. Sorry. You want to have a positive experience, both with you and the system. Not necessarily mm-hmm. in that order. And with that pressure, your presentation changes, and to a degree, as it should. But it's also just remembering what it was like for you, right? Right. What connected with the teachers that stuck with you? So for me, I I know, uh, you know clearly Josh Hankins had a big influence on me, but on the hard style land, you know, Brett Jones is somebody I got to work with a bunch, uh, both in Indian club land and in strong first land, Phil Scarito mm-hmm. on both sides of the fence, John Engham on both sides of the fence and getting to hear and absorb from them was huge. Getting to go to a couple of courses where John actually spoke to Kane was huge mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, I did that. Yeah. There, there's certain demeanors certain personalities, teaching styles that you, you pick up. And, and, and I think it's important when you get to assist, you get to work with that and with different team leaders. So like Doug Nepadal, Ron Farrington, John Hines. Plus, you get to know the people when, when you do that, which is really cool. I will say I have been impressed and people have lived up to my expectations of them well more often than failed them. 
-hmm. I would say the failing expectations may be like a 5% mark where I've met somebody I looked up to and I was like, ugh. Um, versus being very surprised at how open, cool, and generous people can be. Mm-hmm. And one of the things Beth and I were talking, folks, one of the, one of the things that I haven't verbally expressed this uh, in terms of the focus I wanted this podcast, how I wanted it to feel is this. You know, when we're presenting, there's not a lot of falseness to us. We're very authentic. Uh, you're going to hear very similar things from me, but it is different when I'm presenting material that I'm getting paid to do versus hanging out at the restaurant or the bar after. And mm-hmm. I want you to see that this is how Beth and I would talk with each other. Cause I'm going to be honest, selfishly, one of the things on this podcast that I get to bring people on like Beth is Beth and I have not hung out much. Uh, she's somebody that I respected a lot. We got to hang out a very little bit at, uh, at the Dragon Door Health and Strength Conference. And I've just really wanted to teach. So I was just like, Hey, how have we not taught yet? And we made something happen. These are the conversations you would have basically with anybody in leadership, potentially different subjects, obviously, but just know that like everyone is pretty effing cool. Yeah. Right. Like start at that baseline and don't get intimidated or, or you could certainly look up to somebody, but don't necessarily put pedestals on people. Um, put them up on pedestals. Everyone is super cool. And some of the biggest names that I've met, uh, including Josh Hankin, including Dan John, have been so generous with their time. Uh, Marty Gallagher, like that I'm sort of shocked I've had these experiences. Before I've ever had any type of a name, if I even have a name other than the Coach Fury podcast, um, Dan John saw somehow that I was doing the Velocity Diet once and was just like, let me know how I can help. Cause he had written a blog for it on T nation and like literally reached out to me. And I was like, this is Dan friggin' John, you know, mm-hmm. um, Josh asked me to come and speak at a cert because I was one of the, if not the first guy to actually have a dedicated ultimate sandbag class. I'm like, mm-hmm. what the hell? Like that was so awesome at the strength conference. Oh yeah. That was, that was a separate thing. So, you know, oh, well, that one was awesome. I don't know what the other one was like. Uh, that was just at a cert that he was teaching in long Island at a friend's gym. Yeah. Wow. Um, what Beth is referring to is, is uh, Josh was set to talk at the first, first two actually, but the first dragon door health and strength conference and literally a week beforehand had a, get rushed into three back-to-back back surgeries. Mm. So very short notice, I got to present and had a great time. Um, that was the first time you and I met in person, actually. Yeah, yeah. That was great, though. That it, <laughs> You know, you have a great way of delivering the material in a very entertaining way. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, uh, and that's I, awesome because it really kept you tuned in to what you were saying, right? There, I said, right. Uh, But it it kept you tuned in versus maybe somebody who's kind of putting the info out there. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's hard in a sit-down seminar to keep people uh, in check, you know, like uh, focused and, 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 and alert. And especially when you're going through a series of to- different topics that might not relate mm-hmm. to each other, because then the central nervous system is just hearing different people and different presentation styles, and you're going to immediately connect with a couple of them, and maybe one doesn't resonate quite the well, and maybe this topic you just don't care about. Uh, it's a really tricky thing. When I was in film school and like super film nerding out, you know, I would go to short film festivals because that was sort of like now part of my art. It was like short films were my world, and you would go to a 
to sit through three hours of like five to 15 minute short films is hard. It's not like binge watching Stranger Things or The Punisher. It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you know, and especially I will openly admit if you watch some of my videos, you, you my, my, my 60 millimeter shorts, you'd be like, Fury was pretentious as all hell. <laughs> like, you, you wouldn't get it from talking to me now that, like, you know, my background and when, when, you know, when I talk to John Duquesne on this podcast, you're going to hear how nerdy we can talk about, like, the French new wave of cinema and stuff. Uh, oh, wow. I can get deep, folks. Uh, it's not all Godzilla <laughs> and fart jokes, but. You know, it's the same way with fitness presentations. And I think that's one of the things where I love going to perform better is because you, you, quite frankly, you have the freedom to do a hands-on and you have the freedom to go and sit at a lecture. And then certainly there's all the networking. And sometimes mm-hmm. you just need to like, look at the product table. <laughs> like, yeah. I, sometimes I just need to see like the shiny things that I like, what am I going to spend my money on now? Um, Cause we don't get that in person much anymore. Right. That's usually mm-hmm. all online. Right. Um, oh, that's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm getting an extra pump now to actually teach this course uh, with you. We're going to have a blast. So let's talk about this because we've been talking for a while. Let's start to wind this thing down. Um, okay. but one of the things that I've, I've, has not been missed on my social media is Beth is a fellow Star Wars nerd. Um, do you have tickets for The, for the Last Jedi yet? Oh, I don't yet. <gasps> um, you know, uh, my, my Star Wars... Uh, fascination, it really started with my son, you know, um, I mean, I, I wasn't really into it growing up. Of course, I knew what Star Wars was, you know, and I watched some of the episodes or whatever. But uh, I don't, I don't know, my son might have been like eight, 10 or so. And, you know, he just really got into Star Wars. And so then I started, you know, getting into it. And I'll never forget my husband trying to explain to him, no, this one came before that one. He's like, yeah, but that, but that's not the order. And my husband was like, no, dude, it's like, you know, so it took him a while to sort of understand all that. And I still don't have them straight, you know, and I have certain ones that I like to watch. Um, the older ones, um, I, I of course love all the Yoda ones, you know, those are, <laughs> those are my favorites, you know, um, some of the other, you know, and it's interesting to me, you know, how slow the stories are in the old. Hold on one second. Hey, I'm on here, so be real quiet. Sorry. <laughs> kid kid just, just came home. Speaking of Star Wars, um, it's my son. But anyhow, um, but I do think it's interesting, like with some of the new Star Wars, um, it, it's like the, the whole thing has changed. It's faster. You know, the storyline, it's like, it's like to keep you like here because kids are like that now. It's almost like if, if they go back and watch some of the old ones, I'm not sure they could stay tuned in, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a really interesting thing. So, I mean, Empire Strikes Back is, is a great one. It's not my favorite. I know Empire is a lot of people's favorite one for me. The Hope is I'm, I'm always a sucker for an origin story. Um, Uh And I know that I tend to fall asleep in Empire. Now, mind you, I've seen it like a hundred times, but they are slower paced. And I'll say seeing it in my kids, you know, Godzilla movies, the old ones, move at a snail's pace. Mm. But at that age, 
you could see an exotic island or like a, a toy building get crushed. And it was just fascinated and you would wait for the moment. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have a hundred or 200 cable channels. Like it was like Godzilla's on this channel now happening live. There's no recording it. So I'm going to watch it. So, you know, it's one of the things that I, I love about Godzilla is like, you know, every Thanksgiving channel, uh, I believe it was channel 11 or nine would have the marathons and I would watch King Kong, mighty Joe young son of Godzilla. And I would watch them every time. And if I put the, if you put those on now, folks, I'm going to be honest. If you're not a fan, it's a hard sit through a lot of this yeah. because they move at a snail's pace, minus all the dubbing and stuff. Right. So that has definitely changed. Uh, I was just talking with a friend in session today, my friend Jack, and remembering early MTV when there's like 10 videos and you would watch them over and over oh. and over and over and over again. Like I remember watching, I, I'm not a big fan of the band NXS, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember watching that Devils Inside video. Yeah. Hundreds of times because there was like four shots of skateboarding in it. I was like, I knew Mark Gonzalez was in it and there was a skateboarder. And that was enough for me to watch that video every time it was on. Or like, oh, Thriller's on again. I'm going to invest nine minutes to watch Thriller for the 30th time. Um, yeah. <laughs> we can't do that anymore. Like our visual beer is like, um, I would imagine the housewife shows are like that. I know yeah. um, for me, I love those MTV challenge shows for better or worse. I was a big fan of Jersey Shore, and now I watch it. I try to watch an episode. Like oddly, when I wake up early, sometimes there'll be like a marathon of Jersey Shore in the morning. I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. know how I ever watched this thing. But <laughs> the, what what we would put up patiently, just because it was kind of cool, we now have all this extra stuff just thrown at us that we can find that just like is a different type of distraction. There's no fantasy really in it. It's just like, mm-hmm. it's literally stopping us from thinking about our day versus I, my favorite Godzilla movies were like an exotic island, you know, King Kong, mm-hmm. an exotic culture. Look at that set, even though it's like a miniature, you know, um, mm-hmm. we've lost that. And with visual effects now, it's just like everything looks so real that it's hard for the kids to go back and, and see classic cutting edge visual effects because it looks mm-hmm. hokey. Just it it, it does. It, it really does. Yeah. Um, I mean, my son, you know, grew up watching the older ones. So, you know, and that was, that was his, his beef, I think, was that. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, it's just how they remade the jungle book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, it was, you know, that, that aspect of it, of it just being so fast and the sci-fi kind of stuff, you know, or whatever he was like, you know, but, but the storylines are pretty good, you know, and I have enjoyed, um, you know, most everything. Rogue One wasn't my favorite. Oh, so I think Rogue One might be my second favorite. Really? Yeah, I was yes. kind of, I was, uh, it caught me completely off guard um, really? how, much I, I how much I loved it. Um, that, that one I had a hard time placing. I don't know. And like, it, you know, it was like a, a side story. And see, that's where like, I'm not as up on all of those things. Yeah. You know? it, like, cause I tend to just watch certain episodes. Um, I, I did really like, uh, Force Awakens. I, I did really like that. I liked what they did with Ray and her character. I think it's fitting, especially with women stepping more, uh, you know, into their power now. Yeah. And there's a lot of that circulating, you know, um, 
they were very smart to do that and put a strong character together like that. You know, I think it's very fitting. Um, so I loved that, you know, and then I'm excited to see what happens with Luke and Ray. Yeah. I, I'm still having, I'm having yeah. this hard time believing that like, we're going to get to see Luke Skywalker actually like, you know, doing stuff in a movie again. Like there's, there's parts of my, I'm, I'm still 13 when I, when I see him actually starting to talk and I still can't believe that this is actually happening. You know, like, know. There's, there's a part of me. Um, I just had two people trained. So it, you can, listeners, you can't see this, but uh, I, I have a, a Godzilla collection, a toy collection uh, on a bunch of shelves behind me. Um, and some of these are Star Wars 12-inch figures from uh, the mid to late 90s when it was the first time before the prequels that they started to re-release Star Wars action figures uh, with newer molds to see if there was actually a demand for it. And clearly there was. And, you know, she mentioned they must be worth a lot of money. I'm like, no, they were mass produced. But at the time you were still a nerd. Like it wasn't so open and so big, like the, you know, clearly millions of star Wars fans were the first to buy it. And then it grew from there. And to be in this time where these things that felt like, man, this is just never going to happen or no one's going to relate to this or, or the Marvel universe, right. We've seen something like Thor Ragnarok, which is now we have all of these movies with all of this continuity it's just sort of amazing to see that it's happened. Um, whereas like, man, we felt lonely <laughs> in high school. I would have gotten laid more in high school if this stuff was cool back then. It's like, man, you know, I had the mullet, I had the acne, you know, the leather jacket. I, if comic books and skateboarding were cool and punk rock were cool when I was in there, I mean, who knows? Maybe I wouldn't have liked them if they were cool. I, I probably would end up being that guy. But it's just like kind of an amazing time to be at. And, you know, knowing that we're going to get like basically new Star Wars films once a year for about 10 years just is if not more, is mind-boggling. Um, and f- four to five superhero movies, uh, like, you know, a year is mind-boggling. And I hope they continue with the quality level. I know sometimes some hit more than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do hope there's a point where we can go back or get the younger generations to appreciate. I, I sound like such an old fart. I just said younger generations, mm-hmm. the old stuff. Because when I look at, you know, uh, the original trilogy, before Lucas redid the visual effects is the most fascinating thing. And it crushes my soul that we don't have that on Blu-ray because I'm more impressed by what these folks did in a pre-computer age mm-hmm. than we do in a computer now. And I've worked in visual effects. I completely understand the process of shooting and creating all these effects in a, in a computer. Um, I still, I have studied and learned how they did these things back in the day. And I still am just shocked that people were brilliant enough and creative enough to do this. And that's the stuff that I think gets lost a little bit on the digital age with all of the opportunity. Uh, it would be great to have some sort of like retro VFX class. Um, mm. Almost like, I hate to say it, like we're going to need retro shopping experiences. Like somewhere <laughs> like in Disneyland, they're going to need a Virgin Megastore where you can't actually buy things or a Tower Records just so you can look and browse, um, mm. which is like a lost art where there's no algorithm. Like yeah. there's, there's some fellow fan of music put some like-minded things together in their own algorithm that wasn't tailored to your purchases or what they may have overheard on your computer or your phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I would love to see for better or worse. Um, anyway, <laughs> that went off topic a little bit. Um, <laughs> hey, so Beth, um, as we're wrapping up, where can people find you? What's, what's the best way for them to, to connect with you? 
Uh, you can uh, find me on Facebook. And I'm just Beth Andrews. I have two different pages. I also have Train Strong Gym on Facebook. I'm on Instagram as Beth Trains. And of course, you can email me uh, at sba1 at bellsouth.net. Cool. And I'll have all that, folks, um, on the webpage for the podcast. So you can click on the links for that. Look, if you're in Georgia, around Georgia, come hang out with Beth and I. I am so even more pumped now that we've had this chance to chat because we actually ended up talking for about a half an hour before we started recording this. <laughs> and it was just super cool. And um, can you tell the listeners to die mighty? Die mighty, y'all. <laughs> awesome. Hey, folks, thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you for Beth for taking the time to hop on the podcast and helping set up this course. Um, again, that's happening January 26th through the 28th. Um, check out Beth's stuff. Her She, she has like really cool stuff on her social media um, as well, uh, uh, training videos and whatnot. Now, if you want to support this podcast, uh, you can make a financial donation. If you visit patreon.com slash coach fury podcast, that's P A T R E O N.com slash coach fury podcast, or visit coachfury.com. Um, come see my wife's show and her friend's show biting back art for a good pause. That's at bitingbacknyc.com for all the info. I did not say the website in the beginning of this and some shout outs as always. Big thank you to the FTW for the heavy metal in the beginning and the end. Glenn Murrieta for doing the continually amazing Kaiju Godzilla sketches for each podcast episode. And it's about time. I should have done this earlier. Ridge Carpenter, my friend Ridge, who drew the Die Mighty logo. Um, thank you so much, Ridge. It, it's killer. And uh, just everyone that has continued to send any sort of a message, um, support, text, post, share, uh, it's been really cool having this podcast come out and people connecting with it. Um, by the time you hear this, we will have over 2,000 listens on 11 episodes. I literally thought maybe 20 of my friends. Now, that's not like nerdish Joe Rogan time, but for me, that's like far exceeded my expectations. So thank you, everybody, for that. Uh, Beth, I will talk to you, but I will see you soon. This is coming thank up. You so much. Thank it, you so much for the interview. Thank you for coming Enjoy up. It. Uh, folks, stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you very much. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by yours truly, Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by the FTW. Visit the ftw.nyc.com for band, album, tour, and merchandise information. And the artwork is created by Glenn Murrieta. Visit glennurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or on Instagram, at Glenn Murrieta. Thanks, everyone.